Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, Todd. Hey, hey, Corey. Good to see you. Good to see you. How are you doing tonight? Doing great. Thanks. Good stuff. All right. Well, this week, there you saw a little bit of action on TV. I saw you. We uh, all received an Amber Alert on our phones. That's a widely broadcast notification that a child has been kidnapped. Obviously, a very troubling uh, development. But this time, this time around, this past week, it prompted a debate here in Utah about the purpose of this tool. Todd, what do you see as the proper use of Amber Alerts? Well, I mean, obviously, they're there to protect children, right? And um, you know, a cu- couple of things. We had two Amber Alerts in all of 2019. We've had eight so far in 2021. That's a 400% increase in two years. Um, Number two, this particular, the timing of this particular alert is interesting because what we now know is the father woke up from a nap um, on Saturday morning at 11, realized her daughters were gone, his daughters were gone. We don't really know what time exactly they left, but he waited till 3 p.m. He waited four hours after he woke up to call the police. And, um, and he told the police at 3 p.m. that he believed they were headed to San Diego. And then, you know, 14 hours later, 14 and a half hours later, people's phones in Utah start going off around 5.30 a.m. Mine didn't go off until almost 7.30 a.m. I was awake. Um, but, you know, it, it just makes me wonder. And of course, you know, by then the girls were in San Diego. So, you know, it, it kind of begs the question, why are, you know, if these, if these girls left South Jordan heading south, why are we alerting phones in Logan and Ogden and Bountiful and Salt Lake, you know? And second of all, why are we alerting the phones in Utah at all if these girls had already been in San Diego by that time, you know, they spent the night there. And so, you know, I do think that we want to get the policy right so people don't ignore them. Um, Amber, the girl that uh, the alert is named after, was a nine-year-old girl from Arlington, Texas, who was kidnapped by a stranger in a white van uh, from a parking lot, an abandoned parking lot off of her bike. In 1996, she was murdered within three hours. The kidnapping was witnessed, but when the police were informed, there was no way to alert their public. And I, I feel like the further we drift away from those original roots, the more likely it is that this program is going to be ignored. Yeah, that makes sense. On the, on the Amber Alert website, they say uh, imminent danger of serious bodily injury or death. And that, that may or may not have been the case here, but certainly I think there's a qualitative difference between a, a custody dispute where a, a parent, especially a mother, takes the children versus a complete stranger. Yeah, which, you know, because we know, their mo- we know the motives of a complete stranger, right? We can guess those yeah. motives with almost 100% certainty. Now, maybe a, a, a parent's motive is to kill the children. And, and, and I'll acknowledge that happens, right? Some parents harm their children. But a parent's motives, you know, there's probably a 97% chance that their motives might not be to physically or, you know, harm the child. And so, um, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me we should treat them exactly the same. And, and I'm, well, I, 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 I mean, I agree that it shouldn't be treated the exact same. Now, with this exact case, I'm not sure. I guess we could debate it, but I'm not sure that it should be, I don't think it should be treated the same. I, I got the Amber Alert. And when it described that the children had been taken by their mother, Rightly or wrongly, my first reaction was, oh, they're probably, I mean, they're probably fine. <laughs> and I shouldn't and have that. I mean, I, I shouldn't have that reaction, but I, I think that's the natural reaction, human reaction, is to, especially when we're talking about a mother. 
there's there's really not too many examples of mothers kidnapping their kids and and um, and doing bodily harm to them. There, I mean, obviously there are some, but not not a lot. And as you said, if if a stranger takes your child, that's an entirely new level. And the father certainly wouldn't have like hung out for several hours. Yeah, you know, had his coffee, got dressed, you know, went to the store before he decided to call the police. I mean, that would have been. And just let me just like say Elizabeth. this last thing. The, the 12-year-old girl's first and last name was included in the Amber Alert. And then within an hour or so, all, her and all of her sister's pictures were being broadcast. What happens when these girls go back to school? How are they treated? Um, will, they, will their lives ever be quite the same in their community? I doubt it. And what happens when the mother gets some mental health treatment? And a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, what happens when that mother goes to pick up her girls from school? How many people are going to call the police that time? I mean, I think that there's a there's a, a broader impact here on these girls that that is sometimes forgotten in the debate. All right, so uh, Corey, uh, maybe the biggest news of the week. I don't know why, because this has happened like 17 times. But uh, Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, announced. Uh, today that he will oppose the Democrats' huge spending bill, um, Build Back Better, BBB, effectively killing any chance of its passage under the Biden administration, I believe, well, at least for the next year. Uh, can you think of a better Christmas gift for America? Merry Christmas. You know, God bless us, everyone. I think this is a, this is a real profile in courage because it takes, it takes and it's incredibly difficult to stand up and just be basically despised and defy your friends like this. I mean, you as a politician, I'm sure you can understand, but doing this to your teammates, so to speak, even though he, he, yes, he comes from a a Republican state. Yes. Trump won by 40 points. Yes. He benefits politically. There are other democratic senators who would benefit politically from doing the same thing, but they don't do it. And why? Because it's actually really hard to do something like this. I think it's pretty awesome. And uh, even throughout the, I mean, since the summer, he's been warning Biden and progressives. He's 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 been giving them his uh, explaining exactly what he needs in order to pass this bill. They didn't want to listen. He handed uh, Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer a term sheet early in the summer that that basically uh, that uh, delineated all of his demands and asked Schumer to sign it, which Schumer did, and then uh, promptly like tucked it in a desk and didn't share it. I think that it it's it has been sometimes reported or at least implied that that Joe Manchin was already in this space where he wasn't going to vote for it. That's actually not true. I mean, I, I I follow this pretty darn closely just because I get paid to do it. But he has signaled that he has big problems. But I think a lot of most people who were following it closely still thought he was going to come around. So this was a surprise. It was a big surprise to, well, all of D.C. But uh, the Biden administration, they said that they didn't get any. Uh, warning about it. Uh, actually, they did, but it was a warning from staff. Uh, <laughs> Biden or uh, Manchin himself didn't call by, uh, Biden, but uh, but a staffer called. Uh, but it's still it, what the administration did was they turned around and I don't, for folks who didn't who missed it, um, they issued this response, which was essentially a personal attack against Joe Manchin, more or less calling him a liar, which I just thought was really short sighted on their part. I love it. I love to see that because it just makes it even more difficult for, for uh, 
mansion to potentially come around and take a, a smaller deal, which I think he would be predisposed to do, but not if they're going to heckle him like that. I hope he stands firm. I think, you know, America just dodged a $4 trillion bullet and uh, the Democrats have nowhere to go from here. They really don't. The Biden presidency, I think, is a colossal failure. We've talked about this before. He thought he was going to be the next FDR when he had a 50-50 Senate, which is just absurd. And instead, he's going to be the next Jimmy Carter. It's going to be really tough for Democrats to do anything because they're in full-blown civil war mode right now. You know, progressives versus moderates. And don't forget, in the House, all those moderates voted for not just the bill that Manchin may have signed, may have voted for, but that really big, nasty bill, which was literally four trillion dollars. Yeah. And uh, there, it's going to be hung around every one of their necks in 2022. Yep. They had to walk the plank, and they get nothing for it. So I say, Merry Christmas, America! Your present comes with nine zeros. And so, a couple of things. I tweeted a couple of days ago that. Um, that in my mind, uh, Joe Manchin is the man, should, should have been Times Man of the Year, at least for the United States. <laughs> yeah, totally. Time looks a little bit more, you know, globally. But um, second of all, you know, um, uh, Kirsten Cinema is getting left out of this discussion because I'm not sure she was there, but I, I'm not sure she would have had the backbone by herself if, if Joe Manchin wasn't there. But I think you raise a great question because there are a lot of moderate Democrats in the House and only five of them um, could swing the House. Oh, five of them, those f- five moderate Democrats could swing the House just like Joe Manchin has swung the Senate. And where were they? Why didn't they have the profile and courage yeah. and say that this is insane? And the, the thing about Joe Manchin is when you hear his talking points, he is absolutely correct. We, we can't afford this. It's not good for the economy. It's not good for inflation. This is out of control spending. I mean, this is on top of all of the COVID stimulus packages, on top of the $2 trillion uh, uh, infrastructure bill that we just passed. Um, it, it, it's insanity. It's just printing money with no, I mean, we're not talking about grandkids repaying this. We're talking about our great, great grandkids repaying this. And right, right. Um, Generations. For Joe Manchin. Um, I actually tweeted a link today, how to donate to him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Some salt in the wounds, but um, what, what a profile and courage he's been. And of course I'm saying that because I agree with him, but it's, it's hard, I think for anyone to argue with a straight face that we can afford trillion on top of everything else that has happened um, since COVID started. Yeah. I mean, the truth is Democrats don't argue that with a straight face. Instead, they say it's going to be free. It's going to be, it's completely free, which is like this backward math that I don't know. They think we're stupid that we believe it's a lie. Let's call it what it is. It's a lie to say that this is free. Even if it's paid for, which it isn't, it, it would be a lie to say it's free. So on a related note, congressional Democrats last week also voted to raise the national debt ceiling by two and a half trillion dollars to avoid an approaching uh, deadline for default on America's debts. Todd, do you think this was the responsible thing to do? I don't. Um, I don't know. I haven't studied this issue uh, probably as much as I should. But, um, you know, at what point do we take the national debt um, seriously uh, you know, on one hand, I can argue both sides of this issue, because on one hand, I don't think we want to send this message to our creditors, um, which is, I guess, mostly China. But, you know, I, I think if we've made obligations, on the other hand, 
um, how come every year, every six months, every three months, we're raising this debt ceiling? When does it end? When, when, when do, you know, th this, uh, do you remember, I, I'm sure you do, Corey, but do you remember Obama's stimulus package that, the tea, that, that gave rise to the Tea Party? That was $900 billion. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Is such a small, that's a rounding <laughs> error in the, in, the, in the plans that we're talking about now. Yeah, and I mean, the nation literally rose up over that one. Um, and I, I mean, we have very short political memories. So there's no easy answer here. We talked last week about shutting down the government. That's not really a, a fix it either. But, you know, um, Congress has stopped functioning as a, as a, you know, in its proper role. We don't have budgets anymore. We have, you know, resolutions and we just kick the can down the road. And I, I don't see it ever returning to normal, which I think is really depressing for me to think. Yeah. I mean, defaulting on our debt is is a bad thing, full stop. But this, I mean, it cannot go on. I mean, my my hope here is that maybe with this uh, the death of this spending bill, massive, abominable Democratic spending bill, Congress won't need to turn around, turn right around next year and do the exact same thing and raise it again. But I guess what's frustrating to me about this whole process, first of all, that we have to raise it. And I, I think Democrats are the ones that needed to raise it because they're the ones who did the spending. I mean, we had the we had the Biden uh, huge, you know, two trillion dollar bill earlier this year that was uh, that was basically they called it COVID, but it was essentially a Christmas tree for Democratic priorities. But what happened in this case is that um, Mitch McConnell, who I know this this is a this is a take that many people will not like, but I uh, I'm a big fan of McConnell. I've been around him a lot. I know his people well. I think he is in many ways, um, uh, an amazing leader. But I do think that he made a mistake here and uh, by providing an escape hatch, he created this uh, exception to the filibuster essentially. And uh, it's created this horrible precedent because already Dems are trying to use it for voting rights. I mean, you can't go a minute on Twitter without seeing a democratic Senator say, hey, well, we did it for the, the debt ceiling. So why can't we do it for fill in the blank, you know, democratic priority, like voting rights is the top one, you know, and obviously their voting rights bill, what they want to do is eliminate voter ID and federalize the entire voting administration, which is, which would be a colossal disaster. But um, I mean, unfortunately, Senator Romney, he voted to facilitate this mistake. Uh, he essentially voted to um, allow the uh, increase in the debt ceiling. Dem the Democrats could have done it this themselves through reconciliation, I won't bore you with the uh, the procedure, but they absolutely could have done it themselves. But McConnell saved them back in September, and uh, he did it again. And unfortunately, Romney, um, he also helped pave the way for this. It's not was only it, was it... Well, there were other Republicans, right? So there was 10 Republicans that did it. Most of them, you know, several of them are retiring. And then a couple others are, I, I guess, more, uh, you know, in the vein to to want to help McConnell. But... Um, I thought that was disappointing and, and it's certain this precedent is not going to, I mean, it's, it's now been set. And so, you know, you could see Democrats and maybe even Joe Manchin falls for this, uh, for this argument. He may um, that, uh, that, Hey, we did it once. Why can't we do it again? So yeah. I, I'm disappointed in that as well as, you know, again, our debt, it just keeps going up and up and up and up. It's the, it's uh, you know, we just have this printing machine and it's just, Running full steam all day, 24 hours a day, so that we can print enough money to, to pay for all this debt. You mentioned voting rights, and it just re, uh, reminded me, 
you know, I think we're all expecting the congressional Democrats to, to really take it on the chin in the November 2022 elections. But just to ensure that, New York City said, wait, hold my beer. <laughs> and they've decided to let, um, you know, non-resident, uh, yeah. uh, they're going to let, you know, non-Americans vote in their municipal elections, which I, I really think um, is, is sending, is going to send a signal across America that the Democrats are completely out of control. And while I, um, while I strongly support immigration, legal immigration, and I, I recognize the benefit that people coming to this country bring, um, they, you know, I'm going to draw the line and say they should not get to vote on elections on any level until they receive citizenship. That that's what citizenship means. Is oh yeah. So, I, I don't know how you, I don't know how Democrats can say with a straight face that uh, that democracy is in trouble while turning around and giving non-citizens the right to vote. It's just complete insanity. Those are only in municipal, nonpartisan, I think, election. I don't know if the New York's uh, mayor is nonpartisan or not, but you know what I'm saying. It's it's not for governor or for president yet, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. First step. We've opened that door. We've opened that door. (laughs) So Ohio predictive, or is it Ohio or OH? OH I don't know. I've I've just been saying OH, but I don't know if it is. OH predictive insight released another poll this week. They call it the Utah power ratings. Corey, do you think they got it right? Well, so uh, for those folks who probably are not uh, following this, but we get these emails all the time. So I think that's, that's why it's kind of fun to bring it up, but they have this power ranking thing. And according to their power rankings, these, I guess, what they are getting at is that these are the these are the political power players in 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 Utah. And number one is John Huntsman. Number two, Spencer Cox. Number three, Gary Herbert. Number four, Orrin Hatch. So, I mean, there's a little bit of this, like, sort of really. <laughs> uh, Huntsman just lost, uh, you know, the governor's race, and uh, you know, uh, Herbert is kind of done with politics, and. Uh, and riding off into the sunset and Senator Hatch, uh, the same. I mean, he's, um, you know, kind of an older fellow. And so it, it is uh, an eyebrow raiser to me. And uh, they do split it up among what I guess their poll asked uh, for among Democrats, among Republicans and among independents. For Republicans, it's Herbert, then Cox, then Hatch, then Lee. And it is worth noting that uh, that uh, Romney does not make the list among Republicans. He doesn't make the list among all registered voters either. He does among Democrats and he does among independents. But the Democrats would say McAdams, Jim Matheson, Karen Kwan, and Steve Schmidt. For those who don't know, Steve Schmidt is the, uh, the Lincoln Project turncoat who ran uh, John McCain's presidential campaign he was the, the, the most responsible for uh, helping McCain to choose uh, Sarah Palin as the vice president. He decided that, uh, that, that uh, McCain was going to lose. And so he turned and absolutely sabotaged, savagely sabotaged uh, Palin for both during that campaign and then afterwards. And of course, then he, he got a big contract with uh, MSNBC to go apparently he lives in uh, or he has a house in park city and so he threatened to you know run for office sometime but anyway sorry to go off on that tangent but i just thought that one was just like oh my gosh are you serious that's <laughs> that's what they would say but uh, i mean the list is 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 kind of strange what do you think it's laughable i mean it's heavily weighted towards um 
the ha I mean, the people that had power at one point, Orrin Hatch, John Huntsman Jr., and Gary Herbert, um, and um, and you know, Governor Herbert. I mean, Governor Cox. I think uh, I would put number one because he is the governor. Mitt Romney should be on there. I mean, I think that there's some fatigue, um, you know, with the impeachment votes and things like that. But he's still Mitt Romney. And then, you know, Karen Kwan is a lovely person. Kurt Colomore is a lovely person. Val Peterson is a lovely person. They're all my colleagues. I, 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 I really like all of them dearly, but they're probably not the three most powerful legislators. I'm not, I mean, it's almost like someone's picking names out of a hat. Um, all of them wonderful people. If you want some up and comers out of the legislature, I would say Candace Perucci, who was elected at, you know, in her 20s, um, has a very bright future on the Republican side. Suzanne Harrison, um, who's a, you know, a Democrat House member, um, you know, who's rumored to maybe looking at a congressional run. I'd, I'd say she's kind of positioned like Ben McAdams. And why wasn't Ben McAdams on that power list? And where was Mia Love? And, you know, um, and the other, the other thing I'd say about these power rankings, because this is the first one I've seen from OH Predictive, but I've seen other power rankings. And I will tell you this, um, we have current office holders named Blake Moore, uh, Burgess Owen, Owens, um, we have Chris Stewart, and we have Deidre Henderson as Lieutenant government, Governor. None of them would have been on uh, any, anyone's power ranking one year before they were elected. <laughs> right. That's what's so odd about this. And um, I love Brad Wilson, so I'm not speaking negatively about him, but every speaker of the Utah House that we've had in the past two decades thinks that they're going to be the next governor. Um, the ones that have run for governor, uh, like Greg Hughes and Marty Stevens, haven't turned out to be the next governor. Now, Rob Bishop was Speaker of the House at one point and ran for, gov uh, uh, ran for lieutenant governor and lost, but uh, Jim Hansen, um, Never ran for well, yeah, he did run for governor and lost, but that was years after that was after Congress. But um, Norm Bangader is kind of the exception to the rule. He was Speaker of the House and became governor. But um, so, I mean, again, Greg Hughes, why was he not on that list when he did, I think, twice as well as um, Thomas Wright in in the run last year for governor? And Thomas Wright was on the list, and it seems like Thomas Wright's on all of those lists. So good for you, Thomas. But <laughs> I'm just not sure um how they figure these things so yeah so i guess uh i guess their maybe their answer is the reason they put it out like they did is because they wanted conversations like this they just wanted us to talk about their stuff but um anyway to cut my eye because i think a lot of this uh the oh predictive insights polls have been really interesting and i think you know fairly accurate and we've talked about several of them and this one was just kind of bonkers you know, John Curtis, I didn't mention, he was Mayor Provo, popular Mayor Provo for eight years. I don't think he would have made any power ranking list before he was elected to Congress either. Mia Love was a mayor of a small town. But, you know, Chris Stewart, Blake Moore, Mike Lee, and a few others, they kind of came out of nowhere. They'd never held yeah, yeah. or, you know, being elected to Congress. Um, and, um, it, you know, Mitt Romney was obviously Mitt Romney. He's, you know, kind of the golden boy. His dad was governor of Michigan, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. Um, but I, I just think these these are hardly worth the paper they're printed on, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Good stuff. That's all the time we have. We're going to celebrate Christmas next week. So uh, we'll be back in two weeks. All right. Thanks, Corey. Have a Merry Christmas. Cool. Merry Christmas.